All right, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for the lunch. We filled our stomach. So this is the best moment now, too. <laughs> We're sitting, filled stomach, air condition. And then uh, monotonous speaking. Oh, boy, that's very tempting. Remember Matthew chapter 4. All right, we're now in chapter number five, principle. Number five is avoid misunderstanding the written word of God, which is the weakness of some Christian groups. So let me cite these two examples because these are biblical warnings to all of us, such as what Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, verse 14. The apostle said, is stated as in the context of beginning in verse 12 you could see in verse 11 that he gave the church God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers so why did God give that here is the purpose in verse 12 now all the other three are gone what is left is the office of pastor and teacher we no longer have today post New Testament period no more apostles, no more prophets, and no more evangelists. Uh, the very biblical meaning of evangelist is the one who plants churches. So that's what we call today missionaries. But in other parts of the world, some evangelists, they call themselves evangelists because they go from place to place preaching the gospel. But technically speaking, it's one who preaches the gospel in the context of planting a church. So the modern term, we call that today as missionary. One who go from place, preach the gospel, teach the Bible, and gather them into one local body, and then train someone to oversee by the time he leaves, and go and replicate the same to another place. That's the mandate of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church. So that's what I have ex expounded in that book. <coughs> Great Commission, a Biblicist Exposition. So, what is left is the office of pastors and teachers. It's plural because God, God may give more than one pastor in the church, serving in a different capacity. So, in the pastorate, it is required to be a, a teacher. So, embed, the work of teaching is embedded in the office of the pastor. That is why in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, a man who would assume that office as stated in verse uh, 2 verse Timothy 3 to apt to teach the word apt means skillful that's why a man has to <coughs> test himself teaching various ages age groups so that he can uh, see whether he has that capacity to teach okay and then, <coughs> not necessarily that he has the gift of teaching. Because when you look at the passage on the spiritual gifts, every believer has one spiritual gift. That doesn't mean, however, that that should only be the kind of ministry he should be engaged in. But when you assume the office of the pastorate, it is a must that you have a skill to teach. Though you may not have the gift of teaching, so some pastors may have gift of teaching, others do not have. 
But still they cannot get away from the duty to teach. You see, it would have been much better if the pastor has a gift of teaching. But the reality is not every pastor has that gift. We have the list of gifts in Romans 12, verses 6 and the following verses. So some pastors have the gift of ruling. And that's more dominant and expressive than other gifts. So with that gift, you can imagine and see how fluent and smooth his governance in the church. Because that is his gift. But no pastor can get away from teaching. Because it's a requisite, requisite, as verse 2 says, apt to teach, skillful to teach. So men who would desire to be in that ministry of pastorate must give themselves time to test themselves. So let's go to verse 12. The purpose of the office of pastor, teacher, singular, pastors, teachers, in plural, is to perfect or complete the saints, for the saints, your church members. So that's your duty, pastor, teacher. Consequently, every saint whom you have equipped as a pastor, teacher, they can do the work of the ministry. In other words, it's not the pastor alone who will be doing the ministry. It's everybody's concern. The pastor's job is to teach, equip, complete, passively, thoroughly, every saint, every member, so that every member can do the work. If only the pastor is the one doing the work, he would be stressed, if not overstressed, and you will fail in the pastorate. Because one day, you will get sick and die. I praise the Lord when I got sick. This is my longest sickness and my longest vacation in the bed. So for four Sundays, I was off from my pulpit, plus my visit to Vietnam and my sickness, and four Wednesdays <coughs> was absent in the pulpit, men of God took my place. So, maybe in the future, one of them can oversee the work. I'm open to that. If the Lord will call me to missions, I cannot say no. Because the Lord can chastise you you see, I, I firmly believe, however, that I cannot live unless someone can do the work according to 1 Timothy 3. Okay? So, our job as pastors is to perfect the saints. Oh, by the way, you did not see that we need to win a lot of souls and enlarge. Open thy mouth and I will enlarge it. Have you heard of that preaching? I didn't hear that. Okay? So, one of the garbage of fundamentalism is big church movement. Big church movement. When the, I used to think and envision what I want to accomplish in Cornerstone. But my journey, I realized, it was not biblical. It's not there. So I renounced it. I threw it away. But I replace it with a biblical truth. So, <clears throat> our job pastor is not really, technically speaking, to win souls. Study the Word. <coughs> so every time you rise to speak, you speak the Word. Mm -hmm. Consequently, you will complete, perfect 
the saints, the members, so they too can do the work of the ministry. Imagine if there would be five men who would be preaching in our church because they know how to do it. They can do it. That's why I, force, I, I encourage men, not force, really. I have one of my men here who is still stubborn and not, not uh, planning to marry. There you are. Yeah. He's, he's a teacher, should be working, but I do not know why the Lord has impressed upon his heart. Then he's here. Maybe he has repented and changed. <laughs> Most eligible bachelor. We have another one. Another one who is eligible. Maybe retiring eligible bachelor. <laughs> <clears throat> Maybe life is hard now. You know, the price of egg and everything. So these men are thinking, if I get married, how much will I need to feed my wife? And uh, so it takes a lot of courage to marry. Right, Brother Ricky? So you will start to feed your wife. You would have seven or ten children. Think of that. You will feed them. You won't give them to the orphanage, right? You will feed them and teach and train them. So you have to count the cost. Because we would get disqualified if we do not fulfill our duty as married people. So Imagine the blessing if a pastor is completing the saints and more men, more hands are on the deck doing the chores of the Lord's work. So we need to replicate ourselves. One of my motivation in teaching is hard to teach. You have to keep on reading, studying, researching. My goal is to replicate. If more men has been trained and they can do the Lord's work, the Lord is The Lord opens the door. It's not me who opens. It's not me who exalts myself. It's the Lord. But our duty is get, be prepared. Study the Word. Complete the people under your ministry. Because when you complete the saints, everybody will do the work of the ministry. That will result to edifying the body of Christ. That's the same word that the Lord Jesus Christ used in Matthew 16:18. Same word. So, when the body of Christ is edified, we do that until when? We all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. So sometimes... We Christians, church members, are like children. You know the nature of children? Children want to be spoiled. They want their way. We all have been children. Don't you, don't you experience that also, William, at times? You want your way, not that way. I want this for that. And your dad will say, no, that's not the food you should eat. Eat this. I want to do this. No, that's not the time to do that. This is the time, the thing you should do at this time. So children, even adults, behave that way in the church. We don't want the pastor's way. We don't want the Lord's way. We want this way. So we're human beings, sinful people. We can be tempted to be like that. More so, tossed to and fro. You know, children are easily influenced to the right, to the left, or to the right. Here is the text I'm going to expound. 
touched to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So look at footnote 7, slide, and that Greek word which literally means dice playing. Are you familiar with dice playing? Sino nakapaglaro na before ng mahjong? Di ba may dice? Okay, dice. Literally, the word in the Greek, people at this time when they play those dice, they play with the intent to cheat the other person. So that... Okay. <coughs> you have no footnote seven? Oh, that's one of the inspired that you missed. <laughs> I said earlier, I added some few notes. So this, uh, you have the word slight <coughs> and Ephesians 4.14. So <coughs> you Okay, that's from a Greek word which literally means dice playing. Dice playing, known for cheating or trickery. If you can add say, the word cheating or trick or trickery, that's the word. So men, by nature here, you could be, if you are childlike, not in faith, but in behavior, you could be easily victimized by the tricks of men. So Paul used this word in the context of perfecting the saints. So, applicationally, a pastor cannot engage in trickery just to teach his people. No. That is an illustration Second 2 Corinthians 4.2. What Paul is saying, Ephesian church, you be aware of this. Men some men would engage in trick or deceit just so they would like to communicate something they want to accomplish. We can't do that. Here is the verse that prohibits that. So I have shown you earlier the hypergracism used trickery in the doctrine of believe only. They grossly and deliberately neglected when they went through the Gospel of John they did not consider the synonym. If you are honest in the study of John, so John did not use the word repent. Is it possible that John used synonyms? So, an honest student will ask that. If so, what are those? Oh, there are. So I cannot be conclusive that John exclusively taught believe only. Because there are evidence. So you will have to be very careful in your construction and finalization of your doctrine. In the same way, you have seen how they manipulate the usage of the word repent or repentance. There was gross, repetitious neglect from the Gospel to the Book of Acts. So you have seen how they say, uh, hey, those book is for Hebrews. And yet, they will use the same when it agrees with their position. So that's not honest. That's dishonesty. So that's one thing that we must be very careful of because by doing that, we are falling into the, this problem, slight of men, and cunning craftiness. 
You don't have that too, right? Footnote 8, cunning craftiness? No. Alright, the Greek word is the same as 2 Corinthians 4.2, which refers to the handling of text. The Greek is panorgia. Likewise, the same as 2 Corinthians 11.3, the word subtlety. Let's take a look at that. It was about Abe, how, how uh, Lucifer, Satan, deceived Abe. 2 Corinthians 11.3, the word here is subtlety. But I fear less by any man's as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So what's that word? Cunning craftiness, meaning to say deceit. In 2 Corinthians 4 2, what's the word there? Which is the same as in Greek? Handling the word of God deceitfully. So, not everyone who handles the word of God handles it sincerely and accurately. Because Paul said some handled it deceitfully. So how do you know that the person or the teacher is handling it accurately? Of course, sincerely, it belongs to the heart. But accurately is what he is speaking or teaching. That's measurable. But deceitfully is likewise measurable. When you use the word, you can determine whether the, this teaching, this book, this message is deceitfully prepared and presented or not. So Paul warned in Ephesians 4.14, Beware of slight and cunning craftiness in the process of forming doctrine, because that can easily influence the unstable ones. They lie in wait to deceive. You see, they're just lying. They will throw away some baits. Fa'in. And some will catch it. And once you get it, you can be easily swayed. But if you are discerning, you use the Bible, you know, oh, nakakita kayong matalinong isda, an intelligent fish, nakita niya ang uh, hook, at ang kakainin lang niya yung gilid-gilid, hindi niya lulunokin ang buo. Have you seen that one? There, were, there are fish, as they say, who are too intelligent. They will not swallow the entire hook. They will just bite slowly. So, I'm not saying you bite and embrace those false teachings, some of them. Don't swallow the hook, so you will not be swayed. No. If an error is mixed with truth, that becomes erroneous. <coughs> because truth has no error. Alright, let's go to Second Peter 1.20. This is important in, the, in our avoidance of possible misunderstanding of scriptures. <coughs> Peter warned the church and the believers and said in 1.20 of Second Peter, in the second epistle, he said, For the prophecy 
a prophecy is a section of God's word. So we have uh, in the Old Testament, we have the Torah, the law. In English, we say Pentateuch. We have historical books. And we have the uh, prophetic books. In Hebrew, they divided the Old Testament into three. The law, or the Torah, the Nabim, the writings of the prophet, and the Ketubim, the writings. So they have only those three divisions. And you see that in Leviticus. You see that in Luke 24, 44. So prophecy is a portion of scripture. Peter said, they came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So, <coughs> it is a verse that speaks of uh, inspiration. The process of inspiration is where you see this word moved by. So it was not dictated on the human writers. The human writers studied, selected the word or words when they composed. But the Lord assured that what they selected were the very ones that God willed. And so the word here in the Greek can be illustrated in this way. Look at the boat that is a sail. You won't say a sailboat going contrary to the direction of the wind. It will always be according to the direction of the wind. So the wind would be like the Spirit of God. The boat would be like, with a sail, of course, like the human writer okay, composing the scriptures. <coughs> so we would go the way of the direction of the Spirit. And remember in the Old Testament, one of the Hebrew words used pertaining to the Holy Spirit is the same very word used in wind. The, it will only differ because of the usage of the word. Now, let's go back to verse 20. So, he gave the inspiration in 21. In 20, he said, Knowing this verse that no prophecy, so again, prophecy of Scripture, is of any private interpretation. Again, the same word prophecy in 20 with 21, a portion of Scripture. So, the principle is clear. He gave us how they were inspired. Now in verse 20, how we should interpret God's word. We cannot interpret it privately, which means self-interpretation. You can't infuse what you think is the meaning or what meaning you want to put. That is, that constitutes private interpretation. Rather, what you have heard this morning. Look at the language. Look at how the words were composed. That we call syntax. Uh, look at how the word was used in other portion of scriptures. You have to compare. One inspired hermeneutical principle is scriptures interpret scriptures. Old Testament are interpreted by the New and vice versa. So, even when we study about how did they do how did they do those things in the old and the new. So we can learn from them. You will see there the methods used in the old and in the new. Even when we research, I noticed some schools and seminaries today in the Philippines, they have now injected 
the methodology of research in the secular universities. When you look at ATS, that's government accredited, and all other grad school, religious grad schools in the Philippines accredited. You can't be accredited if you will not use the secular universities methodology of research. You cannot. So we differ from that. We don't use secular principles of uh, methodology of research. Hindi pwede walang reading, hindi pwede walang research because I discovered biblical methods of research. The Bible has. We must use that. Because if we use a vehicle and put the precious truths of God's Word into that corrupted vehicle, it's impossible that the content will not be corrupted. So, we must use a biblical method and use it in the discovery of biblical content so we can present it to the current and next generation. Some uh, CPU, PCU in Manila, CPU in Iloilo, they're all contaminated. They have pioneer seminaries, biblical studies, but they're all contaminated with secularist methodology. Too bad some schools as well don't use research. This on the same opposite side. One is too far left, one is not right even. So we must use the scriptures. You cannot be good research, produce good research in the scriptures without languages. What I'm saying is, let's all use biblical method, biblical method and process, biblical and content, you can produce a biblical truth. Now, may represent the next generation. Alright, number six. Another principle is to answer the dishonesty in hunting the written word of God. So this is a little bit further. We have seen how we can prevent dishonesty. But how do we answer the dishonesty? Uh, the answer the dishonesty of those who mishandled the written word of God. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2. There are various areas of prohibition about interpretation that are given then. One is a carnal. When I say carnal, that would be fleshly, not biblical practice. When a person is insane, that will affect his interpretation. Now, you heard this in the lecture in the basic Bible school, that one of the requirements of interpreter is, you must be saved. Kaya ang product na interpretation ng save and unsaved will differ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If a person is saved and living in sin, that will also affect his interpretation. You see, because sin blurs. Sin corrupts and affects the clarity, not of the brain, I mean, not of the intelligence of the person. We're handling God's Word. And the Word of God requires that the interpreter must be saved and must be walking right before God. 
Et voilà. Excuse me. There is no biblical basis for that doctrine. That's why I call it false doctrine, false teaching. No matter how effective, how huge the accomplishment of the pastor, once he falls in sin, no longer qualified. Because 1 Timothy 3 is both pre and in. I mean, pre-pastorate and while in the pastorate. Now, he can be forgiven when he recognizes sin. He can be re retained as a church member, but not as the pastor. That will do harm to the church. Now, it's reasonable at times he would have to move to another church as a member to help him recover, but as a pastor. The Bible is very explicit. So you think a preacher who committed that mistake would ever construct the Bible teaching on pastoral morality. I don't think he will do that. Let me cite you an example. Jacques, while he was alive, and when he was dead, had a son. David? Yeah, David died. Well, Jacques, the father, was the, the pastor of that huge church in Indiana, his son was well known for being a church leader, one of the preachers, of committing immoralities. And he was never confronted. He was never disciplined. His father would just let him say, uh, you go to this church, don't go alone. And he did that lifelong. He's still alive. So one day he constructed a pastoral rehabilitation center. So he, he lived up to his immoral practice. And see, uh, you, you will not expect him to construct the contrary doctrine. So what I'm saying is, what you are, that will influence you in your handling of scriptures. Because it's human nature, you don't want to defeat and embarrass yourself. So that's why we need to be very careful in our Christian life and walk. Because that will affect our teaching and our doctrine, teaching and practice. That includes class, the handling, deceitfully handling of the scriptures which means either falsification or adulteration. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 5, 6. First Corinthians 5, 6 says, Your glorying or boasting is not good. He's telling the Corinthians because they were boastful. And he told them, That's nothing. Know ye not that a little leaven Living it the whole lamb, so he should command, purse out therefore the old leaven. So here the word leaven is used. If you look at the word meaning, it's the literal leaven. But he's not using it here as a literal leaven. So the usage differ. He's using it, you know, the leaven. A leaven when you put it in the flour, naturally the flour will rise. Because it will influence the entire mixture or ingredient. In so doing, he uses leaven to signify or symbolize sin. 
the nature of sin, it may be small, it may be just one, but it's power, powerful to influence the entire body. That's why he gave the command. Get rid of that. So you cannot tolerate sin in personal life, in family life, in church life. Whoever commits it, no matter how small, it must be dealt with. So, let's put it this way. Let's say for political reason and for bigger church movement, I accommodated hyper-graceism. So what would have happened? Well, I will retain those people. I will not lose their tithes, their offerings, the number. But at the same time, error will come in. Error will prevail. And what will happen? It's not the error that will be silenced. Error will dominate the entire body. You see, that's what God says. It's not the other way around. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 15:33, God said, you have to separate. Okay? So non-negotiable and separation. When separation, when a ground of separation occurs, it's not the time to think about, oh, I will lose people. Whether you lose it or not, you have to deal with that leaven. See, God is saying, hey, there's a leaven. Remove the leaven. That's not good for my body, my church. That will not help the church. So, are we better than the Lord in His statement, teaching, prediction? So sometimes we inject our humanity. Oh, sayang, kawawa naman. Para tahimik na lang. Silent. Let's just tolerate no? The words of God are non-negotiable. In uh, church discipline, the Bible is very clear. When a person is disciplined, he has to go through the biblical process. It's not the issue we're making it hard for them. No, the Bible is explicit. The process of discipline and restoration is explicit. So, we need to learn from this verse because if we don't do that, if we allow an error, that will adulterate the entire system of belief. Let me give you two churches examples. First, the Tennessee Temple. Oh, that was this. Not the university. Highland Park Baptist Church. You know that in Tennessee? So, that's a huge church. In 19, late 40s, when Lee Robertson, a young preacher, took over the pastorate, he led a church from Southern Baptist Convention because he knew SBC was off then. So he pastored the church 40 solid years. He was still alive. He turned over the work and somebody pastored it. And he saw the church went down. Not only in numbers, but after he died, they just let him die. When he died, the new pastor brought the church back to SBC. How come it happened? Were they not taught for 40 years? 
Shaman did an examination. What did Lee Robertson taught for 40 years? One research guy discovered an examinist preaching for 40 years. He never spoke about biblical separation. Why? That's negative sermon message. That will not build people. I remember one of his books, Building and Bottling. How come there's bottling, there's no separation? So, no doubt the church came out, he led, he was right. But he did not preserve it by teaching his people. Hey, listen, God's people, he must separate. Why did we separate from that group? So, there's a failure of pastoral teaching. He was church. When research guy said, I've known the church, I came from there, it used to run 10 to 15,000 a Sunday. Have you known a church 10 to 15,000 a Sunday? They had a huge auditorium. You know, our PICC can only accommodate 2,000, 3,000. Imagine a 10,000. And the research guy, when he, went, he returned after the church joined the SBC, they renovated the entire building. The sanctuary is only 2,000. And he was surprised. Music, the same as evangelical music. So when you become a fundamentalist, if you don't move out of it, you have nowhere to go but evangelicalism. That's a historical truth. Supported by historical data. Why? You will be pressured by the demands of the ministry. You will overlook the false teaching. You are now after people. Numbers. Keeping your ministry success. One of my greatest support on that day is when Jesus started his preaching, along the way, he had thousands of following. Uh, you look at John chapter 6, 66. That's midway of his ministry. What happened with the thousands? They turned away. And he told his two disciples, Will you also turn away? And, and, and Peter was so vocal, Oh Lord, come on, change me. I'm not like those guys. We have known you. What happened with Peter? He also turned around. Well, we know he's truly saved. He repented from that and returned. So the Lord was a failure. He ended his ministry. None of the twelve were faithful. The thousands following were gone. Only 120 were left. So if you don't listen to that, you will listen to the big church movement. And that's very alluring. See, bigger church, bigger giving, you will have a bigger name. And everybody will flock to you, invite you here and there. Here's a successful pastor who runs a church by the thousands. You see, so we who are by the tens, are quiet. 
So let's all be careful with that, beloved. There's another one I can cite. Go to California, somewhere in Lancaster. Have you heard of that huge church there? He used to come here with that Laurena. They had some falling apart because uh, <coughs> uh, Paul Chapel associated for a while with Venia Bante, you know, that's kind of, hey, why are you there? I thought you were with me. I like that guy. All right, you do your way. I'll go my way. So, <coughs> why is it that the product of Lancaster West Coast Baptist Bible College, more and more of them are becoming emerging church in music, in clothing, and style? I assure you, if these Filipino churches will never separate from them, they have nowhere to go but to be like them. That is happening in the States. And those of you who are in that area of that world, you know it. I have documentation on that. How do you like to see a Baptist pastor preaching with a lapel? Not that this is wrong. Hey, Pastor, why are you wearing that? Skinny jeans, body fit shirt, dark and light. Only him ang nakikita. And the audience, you cannot see the face of the audience. And they're reclining seat, enjoying the preaching, moving from here and there. That's very alluring. That's the character of an emerging church. And Emerging church is full of false teachings. Yes, it's good in numbers, but based on false teaching. You see, men and women, we are human beings. We can be tempted. I understand why preachers are tempted. They want, you know, numbers. When you age, you want a little bit of comfort. You want comfort? How you can have comfort? when you have fewer and fewer people. And see, that's why we, we fall into sin. But if our minds and hearts have been totally convicted by the clarity of scriptures, even if you would be made to choose life or ministry, you will choose death. Because you don't want to face God. And hearing the words, you were not faithful. You were after numbers. So, take a look at letter C. That's how powerful class, brethren, however, adulterates the entire system. That is why no single error, I mean, a single error can influence the entire system of your belief and practice. Let's all beware of that. On the other hand, let me cite this letter C. When the scriptures is silent, be very careful to use it as justification of any or certain position in practice which may lead to any inconsistency as far as the clear biblical teaching or practice. Let me cite this issue. Footnote 10. Do you have that? Yeah. 
decided this one of those inspired. I mean, my copy is preserved, I think yours is corrupted. <laughs> no. When he assigned me to speak in the morning, I began to rethink. So I, you know, I look at the text more and included these additions so that uh, you can fully understand what I would like to communicate. Is there a way to produce this again? Yeah, yeah. just uh, email me yeah. yours, and I'll be able to take care of and email them. the pastors that are here. Yeah, so at least you would be spared from writing this. You are sure, you know, of resting while I'm speaking. And uh, just read it when you get home. All right, let me clarify myself here in letter C. I put a footnote there. Consider Christ and Paul in absence of comments on slavery. Did you ever hear Paul and Jesus Christ commenting against slavery? None. So are you ready to build a doctrine based on the silence of scriptures? Some do that. Since the Bible preacher is silent, are we not allowed to take our own position? But surely you have that legal right. But biblically speaking, before you do that, make sure you have some basis. Because that may contaminate and influence other clear teachings. And besides, I don't think that is good practice. So we need to be very careful with that. Because uh, especially when Christians, as far as Christians' engagement in non-spiritual matters. When I say non-spiritual, there are many issues with that. Money matters, culture, uh, social, economics, politics. Okay, those are earthly. Uh, culture that includes our dress. Okay, is there a saying in the scripture that your dress must be ladies, must be uh, four inches below the knee? Oh, yours, yours too much worldly. It's only one inch. Oh, you're, you're terrible. You're almost on your knee. So it should be a uh, uh, must accurate ang mga fourth was accurate ang mga Almedes group, accurate yung other Baptist group because they have a measurement. The moment you enter and your measurement is off, your dress is worldly. Out, out. So, I'm not saying na gawin natin yun, no? But, have you seen the scriptures na may side, I mean may land? Hair land, dress land, but which in the Bible is modesty with shamefacedness. With that, there is, this, there is some room, elbow room of differences. But the principle is clear. It must be modest. How come ladies are measured with long skirts whereas the men wear skinny pants? I am offended with men's skinny pants. No, I don't I get offended publicly. Or body fit shirts. So it seems that we are not, you know, we're too anti-female and too pro-male. You get my point? Why only the female? Why not the male? 
So there should be some uh, balance to that. And then, uh, so I raise a question, is it really scriptural? Whereas an Old Testament theology of prophets, particularly the issues they expose in their writings that reveal to the contrary, a thorough exploration on gender Baptist and Christological messages that supports the Old Testament theology. Uh, those of you who went through my classes, remember, I studied, we studied the prophets, especially as they fall in those period, theocracy, monarchy, kingdom, divided, and exile. Those were the natural division of the Old Testament. And God sent prophets in all those various dispensations. When you look at those prophets, you will see what they preach and why they preach those things. You will see also how they live. You will also understand why they expose those things. Why did I say expose those garbages in Judah? At the same time, he was being fed in the palace. So that's how courageous Isaiah was. That's why maraming galit sa kanyang king and princess that probably he was executed to death by sowing during the wicked rule and longest rule of King Manasseh, who eventually though repented. So we need to look at those uh, topics and areas so that uh, we would not fall in error. For instance, look at the book of Acts. How did the believers in Jerusalem particularly practice? No? How did they practice in relation to the harsh persecution of the government towards them? Now we praise the Lord we don't have persecution today. I just praise the Lord we could gather here without harassment. But the early church in Jerusalem? Oh. It's too hard to live under that situation. Even Vietnam, you just have you just don't witness publicly. You can plan a church. I have never experienced harassment and persecution there. Even the missionaries. So the, there's lots of false propaganda, so they speak. Hey, that's dangerous. Let's not go there. Unlike in uh, Jerusalem, oh no. Imagine Peter summoned, and the next day, James, the son of Zebedee, was executed, and Peter was in prison. The Lord was good that he was released by an angel of the Lord. And they were threatened, prohibited, and dictated upon. And Peter had declared, No, we cannot obey you. We will obey God rather than you. Have you heard of a preacher who stood up when the government announced the lockdown and said, No way. We can't abide by that. No, we all assembled clandestinely, secretly. You see? We still need the courage of Peter and John. You can't do that, their courage if you were not thoroughly convicted by the truths of Scripture that assembling together as a church is as important as getting saved or getting baptized. So in America, there were lockdowns too, right? 
Dr. Strauss Church, they continued assembling. Dr. Reed Church assembled with many preaching services so he can comply with the 10, 15, 20 state requirement. You see? But most, some churches folded up. So, well, the government requires us, so let's obey. You obey the government and disobey God, you're violating Acts 5.29. When those two are in conflict, you must obey God, a higher authority. Because presidents, lawmakers, are not higher than God's authority. You must let the superior one prevail over that authority and be willing to pay the price. So we secretly assembled also. I raised my gate higher so that someone in the outside would never see us. I taught my people how to come in and how to get out. Even children. So I devised a way that if someone will, uh, you know, break our gate, someone watches there, you can't get in without a search warrant. If they persist, the lawyer will approach them, hey, what's this? And that's the time that the children will be hidden. Not underground, but behind, or will be herded to our parsonage. Are you going to search my parsonage? That's an intrusion to my privacy. Do you have bases? If none, what if they have bases? Yes, we will check. Oh, why do you have children here? Those are my visitors. Any problem? They're visiting. You see, I'm prepared for the worst. Because I don't want to disobey God and set a precedent. It was hard in the NCR. It was easier in the provinces. I was convicted by the truth when I sensed the government is now dictating. No way. So we need to be convicted by the evidence of scriptures. If there is silence, let's be careful. Okay? Number seven. Man's nobility is dependent upon devotion to the study of God's word. The word is noble. One who is honorable, one who is valuable, one is worthy of high recognition. <coughs> if you want to be noble, that condition is dependent upon your study of scriptures. When I use here the word devotion, I'm not referring to your daily Bible reading and you know, meditating devotions. If I do that pala, I would be one day be called as Lord. You know, the English is the word Lord as a title. So I would become pala valuable, honorable? No. What I mean here, this devotion is your dedication to study God's word. Let's take a look at Acts 17.11. Many of you knows this, know this. And this is about the Thessalonian or the Berean church people. Paul just came out of Thessalonica. He escaped potential persecution and imprisonment. That's when Jason put up a delaying tactic and Jason ended up in prison. Oh, by the way, let me continue. 
I mentioned Jason, right? So Jason ended in prison. How did he come out of prison? Yes, the church paid his bail. That's the word place. So church, there you have a basis. But if you're a fundamentalist, hey, that's not normative. That's narrative. You can't use that. No, that's God's word. You cannot build a doctrine of missions rejecting the book of Acts. Because it is a book full of missionary journeys, principles, process. In fact, in the book of Acts, you can only find the mission process in the book of Acts only. Okay. You want to see a little in the Gospels? The full development is in the book of Acts. There's not much of that in epistles. So we can't, that's the reason why uh, fundamental Baptist missionaries having uh, undermined the nature of the book of Acts, they have their own respective way of doing missions. So that's a minor thing. It's up to you what you want, what I want. No? If God has spoken here, this is His word, we must take it as His will. So here, after Thessalonica, Paul went to Berea. And look at the attitude of the Berea when Paul reached there. These are more noble, the Berean, than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. So that's one character. And search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So who did that? Many of them believe, owns of honorable women, which were great, and of men, not a few. So nobility. What made this Berean brethren noble, much more noble than the Thessalonians? It was because of their dedication to the revealed Word of God. What's the Word of God revealed at this point? Now they heard Paul's preaching, not Paul's writings, preaching. And with what did they compare what they heard from Paul? With the Old Testament. There's nothing except Old Testament. So here is Grecian people, maybe some of them are Jewish, using the Old Testament. Think of that. You're hearing the preaching of this new preacher saying that he has the authority to preach to the Gentiles and uh, using God's revelation, and yet they were comparing it with the Old. This is a pattern that we are seeing. So today, are we going to use only the New? and exclude the old? That would not be a biblical method. So, the word noble, look at the Greek word, Eugenes. You know, a name Eugene. That's the meaning. A transliteration of English name, uh, from Greek to English name. You would have a son, consider that. Now, just make sure your son will become noble. Because if he doesn't like the word, oh boy, he's not living up to his name. Eugenius means noble person of the best race and familial origin, a person of high status. So that's the word, etymology. 
Now, the word meaning, how it was used, it pertains to, uh, so, sorry for this, not Thessalonians, but Bereans. Okay, just see the evidence of uh, corruption and non-inspiration. I have reread this many times and still it missed my eyes. Why did I put the Thessalonians? And it should have been what? Berea. Did you see that? Are you now convinced that this is not inspired? <laughs> so, it describes the Bereans due to their devotion to search the written word. Study needs sound interpretation that requires time and dedication. What is it that makes you no one? You are giving your time, your energy, and dedication. You're quote-unquote wasting your time, energy, and strength. But what did God say? You are investing your time, your energy, your strength into that that will make you one day a noble person. That's what God said. It's the Lord who will exalt you. God will never deceive us. This is what He said. You want to be noble? You don't need much money. You don't need to associate with the powers that be. You don't need to be, you know, married with this clan, popular clan. No. Give your time to the Word. It's not your job or occupation. We all need to work, but we all need to give time to the Word. Because our nobility is not based on our profession, success, position in the society. Paul said to the Corinthians, Have you not known, Corinthians, that many of you are not noble, but rather base people? Uh, here is Paul, or here is Luke, saying the Bereans were much more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because of their social position? Economic? Political position? No. Because of their devotion and dedication of giving their time and energy to the Word. Why not consider that, men and women of God? If you are a pastor, oh, God expects us to be such. That is why the Lord, He wants to exalt us, but He could not because He doesn't see us in that manner. Consider trying it. The word is also used in Luke 19.12 and 1 Corinthians 1.26, I mentioned it already. This pertains to person's social status. So therefore, a believer's social status, we Filipinos are fond of that. So what do you do in life? Well, 50 years ago, I used to be an engineer. You see my name there? Engineer. So what do you do in life? I'm a retired pastor. Oh, you must be senior citizen already. No, I'm just 30. I pastored two years. I have retired. So how do you want me to call you? Ex-pastor. Have you heard of that? We Filipinos, ex-senator. Hindi na nga senator, tawag pa rin senator. Hindi naman pasto, walang pinapastulan. Pasto. 
Has he? Have you experienced that? That's Filipino culture. And he will be hated if you neglect that. You better watch the net, brother. <laughs> Those little things can destroy the vine. But when you stand in a pulpit and teach the word, you must use the word to change their culture. There's no culture that is perfect. All cultures must be subjected to the word of God. You see? Some of us <coughs> have a culture of spending. Unwise spending. So we have to change that. And improve it. And make it more biblical. I like the Ilocano culture, the pure Ilocano. So stingy. So stingy. We Bicolanos are not that stingy. The Kapampangans are not stingy. When I was in Pampanga doing the work of mission there for how many years? Seven years? Every Saturday, oh, if you try to go to Pampanga by the Ricky, they were overfed you. Because there are people who, when you are a Pampangan too, you know the food culture. So as I teach and preach there to them, and I said, this is too much, brethren. Just feed me a little of this. This is too much. And by the way, I don't want you to obtain loan just to feed me. No. So slowly they change. They change. Because I just, I just don't preach. I also delivered sermons. And during eating time, whatever activity. Because I want the culture to conform more to the scriptures. I change. Everybody must change to make it more biblical. You see? The way we raise our children, our culture is evident, but we need to conform also to the scriptures. The way we were raised as a Christian, as Baptist church, you will see lots of garbage as far as tradition is concerned. To make it to conform to the scriptures. So, our status in this society is absolutely dependent upon our spiritual condition and of course our level of accuracy in understanding the scriptures. Nothing wrong to desire to be noble, but the price, the requirement is there. So comparatively, a biblicist could be found one thing when contrasted with the unbelievers' dedication and giving up time in their pursuits of biblical things. At times, I get embarrassed. Look at the unbelievers, the seculars, how much time they devote to pursue their things. Imagine the, our respective heroes who gave their lives to pursue what they believe was right. Don't you believe something in the Bible? Are you pursuing it, advocating it with all your strength and energy? money, time, everything. When I believe that God has called me to pastor Cornerstone, my family, everyone in the family, we have three children, are involved. You finish studies, make sure you study that will not be in conflict with any service or church service. When you get a job, 
That is not your ultimate purpose, but to serve the Lord. So use your job as a reinforcement to your ministry. Whether God will call you or not, full-time or not, you must serve the Lord in the ministry at this church. When the Lord calls you elsewhere, go and obey. Don't think about us. God will raise people. Take care of us. You follow the priority of God's leading. Why? The ministry must be pursued with all strength and energy. Because that is what God wants us. Uh, look at Paul. He, he, he gave all his life. Look at Luke. He was a medical doctor. And he became a helper of Paul. Doing uh, second fatal type of work. Helping Paul medically, at the same time researching. Look what God did. God used him to write the Gospel and the Book of Acts. You see? So that Luke was well known as a historian and preacher than as a medical doctor. So whatever your profession is, use it to study the Word so you can serve the Lord in the ministry where God has put you. A husband should touch his wife, his children. A wife should reinforce her husband and take care of the children so that the husband can do other tasks. And you are partner in accomplishing that. The strength of man and the weakness and failure of one. If you are strong, you will reinforce and help him or her to recover. Because the the weakness and the failure of one could be the failure of the two of you. That is true whether you are in the ministry or not. All right, one more. Number eight. This is a famous verse. Second Timothy 2.15. Favorite passage of the hypergraceism. They hijacked this verse and boasted in this and you have before you six major errors of hypergraceism so that when they come to your shore before you let them in in your ports oh no way get out here yes or remember our members could be easily influenced by soft med social media yeah. It's a powerful tool. So if you don't watch in the way that Paul said in Acts 20, 28, we could be, our people could be deceived. So look at what Paul said in 2.15 of 2 Timothy. He said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's see some... Uh, Exegesis of this passage. Number one, study. It is a Greek command. Uh, the original word is spudato, which simply means a command to study the scriptures with diligence. The word diligence is translated as labor in Hebrews 4.11. Let's take a look at Hebrews 4.11. Look for yourself what labor is. He says, let us labor, therefore, 
Or let us be diligent, therefore, to enter into that rest. <coughs> so this pertains to the Israelites coming out of Jerusalem, sorry, Egypt, going through the wilderness wanderings to enter the promised land. Lest any, any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So there is a need to labor. Going back to 2 Timothy 2.15, Study here is about studying God's Word, the Word of Truth. So the object is the Word of Truth. How do we do that? Hard labor. Do you get tired reading the Bible? Do you get tired studying? Let me ask my students at CBMS, is it tiring to study? Yes. Yes. Anybody who, who, who enjoy and likes studying morning, noon, evening, morning, noon, evening, six days a week. We are all human beings, so we can get tired. And remember what Solomon said, not be too righteous. Remember what Solomon said, in another passage, he said, uh, maybe a paraphrase, the content is something like this. Uh, studies the weariness of the soul. Do you get weary, Pastor? Oh, yes, absolutely. My body wants to sleep, but I am aware of the responsibility, especially when he gave me that responsibility. Uh, only in the afternoon. Oh, thank God, it's only in the afternoon. I give them the stuff, I speak casually, and they have something to read and study. I believe in you, you're adult people, good students, no, they can understand this. But I became more wary and said, oh, I want you to speak, and under the morning. So, I love this brother, I don't want him to be offended. But I want to be a blessing and encouragement to him. I hope I am. Uh, so, wearing it, study is hard. Yeah. Is any pastor here, would, would there be a pastor here who would disagree with me? You're free to disagree. No problem with that. But we will agree that study is hard. Especially when we are required to memorize. When we are required to write a paper. You're right. Ten pages per course. You know what? You are being trained so that one day before you graduate, you can easily write 200 pages. Because you've been doing it for the last two or three years on an installment basis. Because if he will require you to write now, three years ago, write 200 pages. He would say, sorry, I don't want that anymore. If you were to study the secular university grad school in Europe, most European universities will ask you, all right, you're applying for a master's or doctoral, what is it you want to write? You will be asked at the application stage. If they don't see any good interest in you, they say, I don't know, you will fail. Get out. We don't want you. 
very one honest and student who have something read in their mind but the role of the teacher is to help them him or them reach that goal in the future you better hurry in the future I will ask grad student what is it you want to write for the master of divinity anything pastor under the sun alright next applicant and see we will study the Bible you want to write anything under the sun or is that in the Bible or let's say well I want to explore is divorce really biblical or not well that's an interesting topic so what help you accomplish that because that's the role of teacher. Help you, show you, impart what he has learned so you can replicate and do the same. So, study, study. It's a command. So if we don't study, what happens? It's a command. We sing. So how many times we did not study? We don't like to study. Now, we preachers, we prepare sermons and lessons for Wednesday, Sunday school, morning, afternoon. Do you study to prepare them or you copy them? Of course we have to read. But do we copy, cut and paste? Or we produce our own? We have the responsibility to bring to God's people the freshness of God's word through us the human instrument. Beloved, this is what God has, this is what I have learned from my study of scriptures. So why not, when you take courses and force yourself to study as required, are you not studying the scriptures in the school, in the seminary? Are you required to prepare projects, written projects? Is it not the word of God? So why not, after researching, studying, and making that paper, why not test to teach and preach it? And most of the time, I revise. Oh, Kulang, this should be like this. Revise and teach it again and deliberate. So the more you study, the more you deliberate. Those are God's words. The more that you are learning. You see, this part of study. It's labor. So it's a teacher, a preacher, a pastor, when he labors in the Word, he's like a workman. It says there, a workman. That's the word laborer. We hate laboring. We want supervisor, manager, one who commands. So if you are a pastor, all right, brother, I command you, you prepare a sermon and give it to me. All right. I will deliver it. How many presidents write their own speeches? If not zero, maybe extremely few. Well, we're busy people. You see? One day I think preachers, because of business, will have an assistant whose job is to prepare sermons and lessons. Oh, this guy's very good. He prepares good lesson sermon, right? Pastor, this is your Sunday school lesson. 
Sunday morning, afternoon, and evening. Because now the pastor is like company president who has many responsibilities. Wow. CEO. CEO. <coughs> you won't see that in the scriptures. So it's diligence means labor. <coughs> Next, with haste. Are you in a hurry to study? <coughs> With different personality, speed, I mentioned this guy is a very fast student. When I say fast, am I right? Very intelligent. He is, I say, diligent. He knows my deadline. He works a lot and doesn't wait for the deadline. And you're pastoring, planting a church as a family. And here's my conclusion. Married people tend to be more diligent than single ones. You have to break that brother. I can attest to that in my own pastoring. I wrote five gospel tracts in English and I asked the deacon's wife, very excellent in translation into Filipino. That was during the Christmas break and I emailed to her and I said, Sister, would you mind if you have extra time during this Christmas season? Don't translate this to destroy and affect your family time. Yes, Pastor. In six days, she emailed me back and said, Pastor, I emailed you already. I have translated all those six gospel tracts, maybe seven, eight pages. I said, did you enjoy your family time? You were in vacation? Yes. I just used my uh, spare time. And I gave it to the singles who are in charge of our media and publication. And it took them four weeks to finish making some graphics. So that's, the, that's not the first time. Reason? Because the wife of a deacon has been down in the church. Somehow he, she knows more when I give a task without telling her uh, and her character. She accomplishes quickly. I don't know how did she do that. In her spare time, married woman, family person. But found time. I'm saying, how, why is it that the singles could not find time? To too slow. Six, one week. Their plan, they were not only one, but two or three or four. Took them four weeks. I could not explain. I can even see that in the academic performance of students. He is a married guy. He's married. Uh, well, Alex is one of our new students married. He just started last June, right? Wow. Took three courses per quarter. I said, so sometimes in my district, hey, singles, what have you been doing? The married ones, so now I am concluding. The married ones, maybe because of heavy responsibilities to this, this is only they have, the time that they have, they will make much of it. But you know, the singles, oh, it's a long, the deadline is yet 
far. I can take it slow. I just read it next week. So before they know it, they have wasted time. That's why you need to get married, brother. That will help you. When you get married, you will be more responsible. And you will study well your time. And before you know it, God is already exalting you. So that's the second, with haste. Are you sure that when the Lord opens the door, the door is always open? <clears throat> 2009, when we started the seminar inviting the American pastors coming over to teach, I don't know those of you who were there, 2009-2010, almost every semester I remind the student body, class, there will come a day that these visiting preachers could no longer come. And the prophecy was fulfilled. In 2020, they were not able to come. 2021, the whole 2022. I don't know yet if Dr. Main could make it in September. I said, Brother Main, this is the litmus test. Dr. Smith and the Hendricks are coming. Let's see if they will make it, you know, the governmental regulation. Imagine if you pass, if you fail the antigen test, you will be confined for one week. And you're Americans? You will be put in expensive hotels. So I said, all right, let's pray for that and let's see how they will come and depart. Then I will see if it's not possible for you to come over. But Dr. Reeves could no longer travel long haul, according to his doctor. Again, that's double fulfillment of the prophecy. Are you with me? Are you listening to Prophet Chen? <laughs> so, 2009, 2020, they stopped coming. Not that they don't want to come. Dr. Riggs could no longer come. He told me, it's now in the lap, on the lap of Brother Main. So I double-checked with Brother Main. Please check with Dr. Riggs again. Yes, you're right, Dr. Rakintan. He could, he would, he would want to, but his doctor would no longer allow him. Yeah. It's too risky. Yeah. He could have a heart attack in flight because of his previous stroke. Certainly his BP would rise. So it's not about a means turn. All right. I was so sad hearing that. I almost cried. Anyway, praise the Lord, Dr. Strauss can still travel. But he's no longer young. He's 77, 78. But he also prepared. His son Ryan finished his PhD recently. So the Lord is good. What I was trying to say, class, our brethren is, when the Lord opens, there may come a time that He will close. No matter how much you would want, when they say, the Lord says, all right, it's over. So I praise the Lord. I labored hard when I finished before the lockdown. 2019. Or else I could not have graduated. 
I would never go there. 2020 of May, the height of uh, the pandemic. Anyway, the Lord, we must have a sense of urgency. Urgency to marry. Anybody here who is still single? Are you married, brother? Single. 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 I told Brother Ricky, don't go to the mission field. Single. Get married first. Because the devil out there, everywhere, so strong. So it's good to have a godly wife. Right, brother? Amen. He came here as a married with family. Whether you have 10 or 20 children, whatever the Lord will give you. So there should be a sense of urgency. Making every effort to accomplish something in the Word. No matter how small, oh, I want to study this book and know everything from this book. And after five years, aha, I know now that book. Praise the Lord. That will burn in your heart. And when the Lord opens the door, He will let you speak, teach about it. That's how the Lord works. I never decide these things, going there or here. Uh, you know, Dr. Smith, when I went to prison for him, he just called me up, um, maybe January 4 or 6 last year. I said, who's this, sir? I am uh, Pastor Smith. So I paused for a while. Pastor Smith of what church? Oh, sorry, the pastor of Community Baptist. All right, sir. Oh, I remember you. So, what do we have now? Well, I want you to pray and consider seriously of coming over and preach for our mission conference. I said, when? March, last week of March. This year? Yes. So I said, your COVID is surging in America, likewise here. So I'll pray about it. And by the way, my visa is expired. So you pray for my visa and the pandemic. You know, when I announced it to the church, they were so quiet. Uh, someone invited me to preach in America last week of March till early April. The pastor will go to the States with this COVID. So they were so quiet, but so submissive, never opposed, never got wild and say, Hey, pastor, do you know what's going on there? Nobody said that. So they prayed and the Lord brought me there. But I never got sick. I fellowship with him and the family, with Brother Ricky. I was so complacent, Vietnam, this is just Vietnam, not negative too, so I got this. <laughs> you see, the Lord does teach us because he wants us to learn. So make every effort to accomplish something. And we're nearly over. So this study should be aimed to increase accuracy in interpretation. Look at the word, rightly divide. <coughs> That's a present, uh, we call it in Greek, participle. That means ortho, 
ortho to meto, meaning to say it must be uh, done continually. Not only that, the word means to cut the scriptures aright or straight. So it's not enough to cut the scriptures. When you cut the scriptures, you must cut it accurately as intended by the writer. Don't cut it in the way you want it. So you know even the the original text doesn't have chapter division, so to speak. Okay? That's why some paragraphs in the original, especially in the Greek, overlap in the chapter division. The chapter division was in a place by the translator for the purposes of facilitating quotation, quoting. How do you get to this particular sentence, chapter and verse? But anyway, so as a student, we need to be cutting the scriptures not in the way we want it, not in a crooked way, always a right, right, or straight. So you need the languages. Uh, when you exit, you will have to cut it straight. Look at how the supermarket cut the beef and the pork. They always use manual bolo knife. No, they cut. They use the machine, electric machine, so they can cut the pork or the beef as thin as maybe between one-fourth to one-half. I think that's the thinnest that they can cut. And they will cut it accurately, especially when the bone section, can you do that manually? Uh, you will destroy the, the, the meat. You cannot cut straight. You can still cut the scriptures. If you do manually, it will be, there will be wastage, there will be breakage and losses. But there are tools to be used. The basic tool is the language. There's no shortcut to that. So I urge you, beloved, spend time in the language. We need that. That is our protection against potential error. Because we're fallible. So by doing so, you could produce rightly dividing the scriptures. So imagine John Knox or James W. Knox and other preachers and exegetive scriptures who outrightly rejected the use of language. In fact, we can even correct the Greek textus receptus by using King James English. That's plain folly. Which was first? Which comes first? The KJV English or the TR? You see? Yes. The KJV English is inspired and preserved on the basis that it was it came out of the inspired and preserved original text. So the Rachmanite is dead wrong. We have no basis to say that. They have nothing to quote in the Bible to support that false teaching. At most, they will pervert the text. Historical argument, na Antiar sa KJV English. Biblically, wala silang pagbabasihan. You see? Tama sana yung KJV. But, 
it has a mixture of errors. So it must be rejected. So that when you cut straight the scriptures, you can teach it correctly. When you cut the scriptures not straightly, your teaching will not be accurate. So, you remember Canina, Ecclesiology, 1 Corinthians 12, 13? The fundamentalists cut it wrongly. So when they communicate it, there is universal church. That has been debunked. Found one thing and wrong. So when we handle scriptures, we must handle it with finish. Remember that word. That's what will make you and me noble before God. Our job as a teacher, as pastor, missionary, is not only to get people saved, but to teach the whole counsel of God's word so you will be perfected as a missionary one day turning over the word to someone who can continue the work of teaching and pastoring the flock and replicating the same to another place. As a pastor, the same thing, encouraging my people to go as missionaries because that's what will make the church noble before God. The mandate of Jesus Christ to the church is to plant churches only in the Philippines. No. Throughout the world. Have you planned how to do that? Considering we have only maybe 50, 60, 70 years. So we need to plan. It's difficult to plan. So not many, however, could do this because of, this is very practical, either laziness, are we tempted to be lazy? Or not? This is hard. Even sitting here since 9 a.m. this morning and listening to me who doesn't move around. You see? Second, lack of study skills. That's the role of the school. To teach you with a study skill. You won't be there lifelong. One day you would leave and do your ministry. Or some of you are doing the ministry. You're honing and enhancing your skill for the ministry. Because if we don't enhance and hone our tools, what will happen? Kupurun. You see? There's no such thing as stored knowledge. In fact, our brains deteriorate. And we need to do more. So that it, you know, muscles deteriorate. If you don't use it, it, this deterioration will be, will increase. At least by proper use of it, the deterioration could be neutralized. You're losing 10%, you're earning 15%, you have a net growth of 5%. You're doing nothing, you lose 10%, you lose 10%. The next year, the same. And before you know it, you're no longer useful in the ministry. Not only study skills lack, but also misplaced ministry time allotment. Misplaced time allotment. Paul reminded us in Ephesians uh, to be circumspect of our time. You know that verse? Redeeming the time. 
516. Say then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. You know why the married ones are more effective? They're aware of that. So they have only a few times, so they make much of it. But the tendency on the part of the single and unmarried, no, I have all the time. So the tendency is not to be productive with the available much time. So let's be careful with the misplaced ministry time allotment. To the pastors, we are mandated to teach and equip our people. And we will never be successful if we mishandle the Word of God. Missionaries, presumably you know the biblical process of missions work that one day you will turn it over to one of your trained local leader and go elsewhere and replicate the same. If we don't know the scriptures, the biblical process, too bad. We will fail. So, to those who are considering missions and the pastorate, they have visit to qualify. And we who are in the ministry, we can we can uh, be disqualified if we do not keep and maintain those qualifications. Therefore, this study will result in not being ashamed before God. Remember the text? Study to show thyself approved. Someone who has been tested. Approved by God. A workman. A laborer. So when you study whole day, you will experience the body aches. It's like you labor in the field eight hours. And then you do that every day. You will master the Word of God. And before you know it, God is pushing you. So without ambitioning those things, you will not be ashamed before God as well as before men. Because this truth evokes the recognition and acceptance by this I'm done, brother. Any question about mishandling the scriptures? Yes, sir. Ecclesiastes 12, 12. Much study is weariness of the flesh. Yes. Make sure that. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. So is there any question? Clarification? Thank you for the time, Brother Bill or Decker. Thank you, Mount Zion.